Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Secret Origins of Mint Condition Reaction Show Edition. And we're continuing on with our uh, weekly reactions to Picard Season 2. Um, this time up is Episode 4, The Watcher. And I'm once again joined by John. Hey, everyone. And Josh. Hello. All right, so let's let's dive in. Josh, overall impressions of, uh, of this episode. I, I really enjoyed it. I... I uh, don't want to sound like a broken record, but I feel very similar. Um, my my takeaway, my feelings about it, my enjoyment level is uh, uh, basically um, the same as the last several episodes. I'm, uh, you know, I thought that it um, moved the story along in the direction that it seems to be heading, um, and all of the the particular locations and situations and characters that we spent time with this week i thought it was a lot of fun and there was a whole lot of um really meaty stuff to chew on and yeah overall i i really i i enjoyed it and i can't wait to see the next one as per usual (laughs) uh john what were your overall feelings on this on this week's episode um it was pretty good um it felt uh I think much like the previous weeks, um, I was I was I was hoping for a little more from the episode itself uh, in terms of uh, pacing and a good uh, uh, feeling. But I think uh, it's my frustration with I just want I just want to know what's happening. So uh, this is this is sort of a slow burn uh, in this episode uh, story wise, but definitely some cool moments in it. And uh, I was uh, I was really fascinated by the way they decided to directly you know, address what it's like in uh, 2024, only two years uh, from now. So that, w- that was kind of cool. And uh, the the action sequences were a little more than I was expecting. Uh, that that uh, car chase scene had me uh, had me on edge, not because it was the best I've ever seen in, in television uh, or movies. I mean, I, I think the best for that you, you, you see in, you know, big name movies like The Bourne Identity. This was good, but it captured something that I've never seen done on a car chase before. The way a couple fights. Mm. <laughs> oh my God, the, the, t- the hilarious tension that you're like, I've been there. I've been there. I've experienced this exact thing. Maybe not at 90 miles an hour trying to you know, escape uh, in a stolen police cruiser, but same general feeling. Yeah, I would say that that I did. I, I felt the same tension in the car scene, car scene and the, the intensity between the characters. And uh, I feel I enjoyed this week's episode. I would, I think I'm in more, a little more in line with you, John, where, you know, I, I kind of want more, uh, but probably because I just want, you know, like I said, like we're not binging this show, this show we're getting weekly. So I, you know, you always want a little bit more when, when the show ends, it's like, oh, that, that's where we're leaving off this episode. Uh, but overall, I enjoyed it, which kind of brings me, you just mentioned it, um, John. And I, I, I guess I wouldn't ask both of you because, uh, you know, friend of the show, Jack, like was sent, sending me videos because you know, he, he watches a lot of the internet stuff and he sends them to me and I watch it. What, what are your guys' views of the pacing of Picard so far? Do you, do you like the pacing of the show? I mean, we can branch off obviously into the pacing in this episode, but just in general, what are your thoughts about the pacing of this, of this series? Well, my feeling is the number one job a, a TV show has is to, is to entertain you for an hour and make sure it gets you to come back the following week. So, uh, so with that as the baseline, you know, the show is certainly doing that. I do think that it's kind of tricky when the show is clearly designed to operate a sort of one long 10-hour movie, and there's a tension between the way we are used to watching serialized TV series these days, where this is clearly designed uh, to be watched in one long sitting um but the streaming service on which it's appearing drops the the episodes week to week so so you are sort of left as both of you said kind of wishing we were getting a little more in terms of of the answers and the resolution to the story um this was episode four right and i believe this is um a 10 episode season uh, does that sound right am that's, i yeah that's that's what i look what i've looked at, i've looked up they've, they've said 10 episodes so that, that's when i think we're going we're gonna get yeah so it seems like uh the first half is or the first 
third is like this search for the watcher and then obviously when they find the watcher we're going uh, to move into some new uh MacGuffin. i assume you know next episode we we meet the watcher and then we get uh the next uh piece of information in terms of the plot um what what they they have to go after they have to solve uh, uh very interestingly um it seems like it has something to do with this europa project this this uh, europa mission from the uh the cliffhanger at the end of this week which i wasn't i wasn't really expecting i just thought it was sort of some some color for for the world um uh, but yeah uh i forgot the question no, it's okay. I think I <laughs> well, I was asking about the pacing of the show, but uh, John, since you brought it up uh, in your previous, you know, previous thoughts, what what are what are your how are you feeling about the pacing so far of the sh- of the sh- of the season? Um, it feels a little off to me. Um, because uh, maybe it is because it's sort of uh, uh, the idea is that it's more so ten episodes. Um, I, I think it's actually something that's still new to a lot of uh, uh, um, productions is the idea of having an ongoing story that may or may not drop at the same time that also may be uh, uh, filmed not necessarily consecutively or with this or each episode written by the same uh, uh, person and and so far I think they've had the same director for most of the episodes if I'm correct I think it's been uh, at least I know last week's was Leah Thompson and I think I saw uh, their name before uh, a few times. yeah the first two episodes uh, the first two episodes were one director that was a single um, shooting block, and then and then episodes three and four were um, were Th- that a explains block. that explains the very different feel that these past two episodes have, and uh, that's what I'll say. Is I, I, I definitely have a critique. I don't think the direction of episodes three and four has been as good. The scenes feel like they jump around. I rewatched part of the episode uh, uh, in preparation for today, and and I felt, wow, this is a little bit jumpy, like from scene to scene where uh, it's just sort of like, where's this group at? Where's this group at? Where's this group at? Which um, I get it because they're, they're scattered across the earth uh, uh, and trying to, uh, trying to find each other. Um, but it did feel, feel a little bit, uh, a little bit scattershot. And maybe that's uh, 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 something that if done a little bit differently, wouldn't have felt as, uh, as disconnected. Maybe that's the pacing issues when you have di- disconnected pieces of the story you're not quite uh uh able to you know jump into it as much uh, and they're also introducing some new factors that we've only had a few you know few moments with like the doctor um it seems like they might play um, a more substantial role in the series and other things like that um and i wonder i wonder what the next couple episodes are if they're sticking you know with this if, if they're doing different directors different uh different writers and and all that so that also contributes to it i imagine it was different than if it was a a four or a six episode mini series that was uh, written, filmed, directed, written by the same exclusive team for that one purpose. It's shot and then it's done. Um, this this is this is a combination, I think, of serialized, you know, individual episodic television, but written with the core story um, uh, uh, for the whole time. And that's very similar to Discovery, but this this is definitely meant to be a little tighter than that. Uh, discovery mm-hmm. in at least in, in seasons in, in the recent seasons has had you know some individual episodes and things like this i don't think they're going to be i don't think they're going to be doing a separate wacky episode that has no connection to the rest of the episodes in this season it just doesn't feel like that would make uh, that would make a lot of sense no and i i, I wonder definitely like the, i said the, i'm hitting up against the pacing too but you know like josh you just said like we're we're watching it in real time, whereas they might also be thinking of the future binge, binging of it. Like I, I'm currently catching up on Discovery season three, and I think the pacing is great, but I'm also getting each episode like I can just sit down and watch the next episode. Like I, I don't have to wait like in Picard. And maybe I would bump up against you know I don't know if you guys bumped up against that with Discovery, and I'm not just because I'm watching it real time. So maybe they're just thinking of the of the future people who are not watching it on a weekly basis with the pacing and d- dividing up the episodes. Well, so this is the thing that's kind of tricky. Um, I would say that 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 I did um, bump up against that uh, the pacing in Discovery. You know, um, you know, for sort of the the overarching plot um, in um, in season three and in uh, previous seasons. I think with streaming shows in particular, they are really designed and approached. 
um, for binging experience or uh, not necessarily the binging experience, uh, but the idea that the uh, the pace of the episodes is is um, is up to the viewer. So if they want to sit and watch two episodes or if they want to watch half the season and then uh, the next half on the following day, it's sort of there. It's sort of up uh, to them until they decide that they have seen enough, like, you know, how they want to, uh, uh, to portion it out. So, so I think the show is designed for the, um, uh, to be able uh, to live in the, the on-demand library of a streaming service in that fashion. And then the releasing episodes week uh, to week is just um, sort of an opportunity for, you know, marketing, frankly. It's like uh, with the the drop every week of a new episode, that's another excuse to do a whole new round of social posts and, you know, vignettes on, on YouTube. You know, it's just that many more news cycles to have the opportunity to make some sort of a um, some sort of some sort of an impact. So that's sort of how how I see the the um, the machine of it sort of uh, sort of working. Uh, because yeah, I mean, no way that there's an episode like a standalone episode this season that's like a that's like a comedy episode or is um, has a story that has n- nothing to do with the main plot, like this is one through line that is that, um, uh, you know, we are seeing unfold. It's not, you know, one discrete episode and that, that, you know, moves some larger story an inch forward in the background. It's, I mean, I mean, this is the story and it's, you know, meted out one week at a time over 10 weeks. It has a feel of a movie, which, um, very specifically is what they're going for because, well, let's face it, they're, they're, they're literally going for the feel of this is a bit of a little bit of Star Trek first contact, but heavy Star Trek four. Like yeah. this is Star Trek <laughs> four all in all. Especially this week. Yeah. Yes. Especially this week, week. glad appearance. And I'm trying to find his name here again. Oh, it's Kirk. So, um, oh, uh, 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 Kirk Thatcher. Yes. yes. So the fact that, so at first I'll admit, I rolled my eyes. I rolled my eyes at the bus scene because I'm like, literally they're going to redo the same exact thing. The guy looks the same. He's playing the same song. You've got to be kidding me. This is too much fan service. It's not Even exactly the also, same song. I still hate you. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, you're right. So I, when I re-listened to it, I said, wait, it's a slightly new version. And then I had read that that was actually the same actor. And at that yeah. point, it, it it leveled up for me. It was like, okay, this is actually more fun. Uh, and actually knowing that ahead of time, you know, pe- people don't always like spoilers, but sometimes that added bit of information of like, this is actually the same person uh, as well. And there's a little like emotional breakdown there, uh, which I feel is a very uh, uh, <laughs> appropriate transition to like, this is where you were being a punk in 1986. Now you're in 2024. This is what your life's like. And yeah. I just thought that was that 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 was hilarious and uh their their frustration as to the bus and then that line about it would have been faster to take the bus uh which as a proponent of uh transit systems i totally support <laughs> agreed <laughs> so i guess uh, we should just probably drop and drop fully into the episode proper now that we've, we've gotten the big um star trek 4 you know um nod out of the way so we start off with uh, Picard and Gerardi back at the Chateau, and we get a little history of Picard. I mean, did that fill in? Like, I thought that was some good, interesting lineage of, of Picard's family history and and leading up to, you know, where he kind of is when we meet him in Next Generation. No, I agree. I really enjoyed that stuff. And I also liked, you know, this is the kind of thing that, that uh, could very easily have um, uh, been very eye-rolling and kind of unnecessary, like, you know, uh, just to satisfy a um, a certain kind of obsessive fan, uh, but I really liked the bit of backstory where we find out that the chateau was um, uh, was abandoned during World War II, um, and the Picard family escaped to the UK, and that's why. Uh, Picard is a Frenchman that 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 speaks like an Englishman. <laughs> I screamed that out at that point. I'm like, they're finally explaining the British accent. <laughs> no, but like it makes so much sense, though. 
Yep, yep. And, and I, I thought, thought it, was, it, was, it was a cool, it was a cool it, way to do yeah. that without it being convoluted. And it yeah. added a gravity to the family that it's not just uh, the perfect Picards because you definitely had the sense from early Jean-Luc Picard that he was just this incredibly well put together person. And that was the end of the story. As Next Generation unfolded, you found out that there was there was more to that. And certainly the family episode showed a lot more about that. But this this show that, hey, the history, the history of this family is incredibly rich and detailed. And I, I know from having studied, you know, genealogy uh, uh, in different families in my family, that w- when you look at these branches that have, that have lived through major eras, and uh, particularly if you go back a few hundred years and you, can tr- and you can trace that, they all have these incredible ups and downs. Yeah. Um, and you know, what, what, where they lived in a chateau, a manor house or, or, or a row house or anything else that there, that, that there's usually that period of a complete scattering. Uh, and oftentimes the families that you hear about, like the, the, the name has kept going for hundreds of years, they have that moment of coming back. So they're definitely playing up the fact that this, this, this is a real family that's established and why it means even more that he's the last of them, because it's something mm. that's had this mm. centuries upon centuries of history across these incredibly important historical moments uh, uh, and, and, and experiencing those moments. And what is it like to be the last? Because eventually every family is going to have a last member. No family you know, will, will last uh, 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 you know, forever like that. Yeah, I, I, definitely, I definitely agree. I, I thought it was, it was really well done. Like you said, it was not an eye-rolling type of situation and it kind of it kind of fit the narrative of like what we're talking about in this this season, where we're we're getting into the deeper roots of Picard and and his upbringing and his childhood. I, I like we got a little bit more snippet of, of his mom and some of what's mm-hmm. you know going on there, uh, with yeah. which we we've all assumed is some is domestic violence at some at some you know formative age that Picard witnessed with his mom that is either repressing or actively remembering. I'm not sure if those flashbacks are like him actively remembering or or just things that are informing us. Um, from his past. So yeah, I thought the whole thing was great. And then we move into um, Girardi has uh, some knowledge from the Borg queen that's subtly coming out as she's, as she's, you know, wandering around the Chateau. That was a throwback in some ways to the episode where data is getting the information about time and all fours and things and everything's a pattern. That's a common thing. Cause the writers use is that your subconscious must be, is, is trying to get the information you need desperately out. So it manifests often in patterns and numbers and symbols, very Jungian type things as well. And uh, I've always, I've always found that fascinating about Star Trek because they're not just about exploring the uh, equation objective science. They're like, well, what is it in somebody's mind? Uh, uh, that leads them to either take an action or, or is hiding something that they understand. So she's, you know, has this information in, in her mind that she's trying to get out. Picard clearly has information in his mind that he's trying to work with. And there, the two of them are together sort of doing that in completely different ways. Uh, and, and, but I think both, both are going to be very consequential to uh, what's happening. Obviously no, no, the coordinates the board queen had. And did either one of you catch that, which played later into the episode was, was, was the, uh, the Dick, she says, okay, Dixon Hill, like you figured, you figured yep. that one out. Yes. And yeah. it's like, okay, which I imagine Picard probably wrote a memoir where he talks about that a lot. So anybody who knows of Picard knows that he's obsessed with this uh, private detective. Um, and that, oh, yeah, that that's was true. also the book at the, in the end, very end scene. Oh, was it? Oh, yes. was it? So, oh, so, okay. so zoom in a little bit and the cool. mysterious woman who I'll, well, I'll leave that for a little bit later in this episode. I have a theory as to who they are. Um, uh, uh, that book was a Dixon Hill mystery. Uh, Dixon Hill. Yeah. That's, uh, so I was like, wait a second. That's not, that's not just random. That's going to connect somehow, uh, to this. That's interesting. That is, I did miss that. That's very fascinating. Yeah, I have a whole oh, yeah. bunch of crazy stuff that I saw in this episode. So I got to give a credit. The, the, the things they dropped in this started adding up to some really massive things uh, uh, as, as to what they're what they're tapping into and what previous stories they're tying this episode to. Oh, well, yeah, I caught um, one thing. So the younger Guinan, um, her version of 10 Forward in uh, 2024 Los Angeles is in the middle of a sanctuary district. There was like a a kiosk or something uh, set up from uh, the uh, the twenty first mission. I forget I forget exactly the name, 
Oh, but it was a reference to um, the the kind of the halfway house that Edith Keeler was running in City on the Edge of Forever. So, so it oh, was I didn't like catch that. Oh, I didn't yeah, catch that that's great. <sighs> yeah. So, so it's so it's sort of saying like that that her um, uh, the halfway house she was running uh, became like a charitable organization, and um, was sort of they set up these. Uh, pop-up uh, clinics or whatever in sanctuary districts, which I thought uh, was a neat um, little detail. No, that's a great detail. I like how the all these they're really threading the needle across all the Star Trek um, shows. I think in this in this season of Picard, they're, they're, every every episode seems to have something in it from all the franchises that we know thus far. Um, yeah, and the movies, and the movies. Yes, of course, and the movies. Uh, yeah. So I guess, and after that, so then we move into Picard is going to beam, as you just said, Josh, and go find uh, Ten Forward and the young Guinan. And what what were our thoughts about meeting uh, this version of Guinan? I was confused at first. I was super confused. It took me, uh, and, 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 and in fact, it briefly took me out of the uh, out of the episode because I was like, wait a second, how is this young Guinan when we've uh, encountered younger Guinan uh, before? And I knew they weren't going to bring back Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, to to try to CG her being younger or anything, but I was still trying to piece together what it would be if it's young younger guy. And but also I didn't understand at the moment why she didn't recognize Picard. And then I started doing, you know, Starfleet Academy Temporal Mechanics one hundred and one and figured out right. okay in the episode Time's Arrow in Next Gen they went back in time to Earth of the late eighteen hundreds, met Mark Twain, met Guinan. Uh, Picard saves her life. They begin their, you know, their, their deep friendship in that moment. If it's this alternate future of, uh, which changed apparently in 2024, it makes sense that the, you know, the, 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 the darker evil version of Picard never went back in time to, uh, to do that. Some other, obviously something else happened that saved her life at that point because she obviously survived. She's still there. So somebody else must have intervened in that, in, in, in what those aliens in that episode were doing, but it wasn't the card per se um, or something or something else entirely happened. So that's why they don't have a, a direct connection, but she recognizes his name at some point because she has that other moment where she is nauseous. And it's that, uh, what do they call that? Sort of like, you know, sense of when it's she's like a time. It's like a time sickness. You yeah, call it. yeah. 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 So that made that that's finally made sense to me, but I had to work it out in my head for a moment. Uh, and obviously to anybody else who didn't know or hadn't really watched Next Generation, it wouldn't be much of an issue. But it was like, wait, but they already know each other at this point. He should just be able to like go up and say, hey, God, I need your help. But this this sort of makes sense with temporal mechanics. Okay. They would not have yet met. Uh, that wouldn't have happened. And uh, and that would have been that would have been that. And this is what I want to bring up to the rest of you. She, she was very uh, cynical and skeptical. Uh, in contrast to what we would have expected, but we see that it's, you know, 2024, not 1890 anymore. And obviously other things were going to happen. And she, uh, she had, my question was, what was the deal with the dog and how did Picard recognize the dog and why was the dog super nice to Picard? Yeah. I didn't know what the deal was with the dog either. I got the, the impression that um, she was, um, she had found a new home for the dog and had to say goodbye. And I think the thing with Picard getting along with the dog was just that. Um, I mean, I don't think it was l- literally number one from uh, from twenty four hundred that we saw last season. But um, I know. I mean, isn't um, uh, Patrick Stewart in real life? Isn't he um, he a big advocate for he, uh, for those kinds of dogs? He rehabilitates so, Rottweilers. We're fine. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so 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 I just thought it was sort of a nod to reality. I also thought it was like sort of like who we you know we don't know their Picard and Guinan's relationship as a whole. I'm assuming at some point she's she's probably told him much of her past, and maybe this is a way of him proving like I'm a friend because I know your dog and I know the situation and I'm friendly without him starting off saying I'm I'm Jean Luc Picard from you know. And we're going to meet in the future, four hundred years from now. Like I figured, it was something like that that they were trying to instill trust in this, in this, you know, cautious guy. In yeah, and also, you know, I guess it's, um, it's sort of a shortcut in, in fiction that a dog is an excellent judge of of character. So, so it just sort of 
Uh, hey, I totally you know, believe that on most every level. Yeah. So works. Yeah. Works yeah well, well, so, but, so, but, so, but, um, when, so, so the way a dog reacts to someone within fiction, like, like that's like a flashing red light, like a neon arrow saying like, you can trust this person or you can't trust this person. So, so I think it's a little bit of that as well. Right. I agree. I agree with that. So I guess I guess at that point we well we cut interpose we're cutting between Picard and Guinan and then we kind of mentioned with Rafi and Seven um, before they get to the car chase they're trying to track down Rios and I think we already said we kind of like their their interaction and the you know and Seven of Nine is sort of enjoying her being a normal person I guess in this episode. Um, uh, could we go back to uh, the young Guinan for a second? Oh sure, yeah, please. Um, so so I also had a similar. Uh sort of initial reaction uh, to John in that I was a little confused initially <laughs> and where my mind went, I was like, oh, okay, so she looks younger. So she must, so, so she must have been living here uh, before she went to, to, to the 1890s or whatever. Uh, but that's actually, I'm sort of, it's, 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 it's so interesting uh, because Generally, um, when something like this happens, the most straightforward explanation is uh, is usually what the intention on the part of the writers is. So, yeah. So, so, so I know that. So, uh, uh, John, uh, uh, where you landed is, I think, the intention here. Um, the idea that, okay, so if. Uh, the future has changed. Then uh, Picard will have never gone back in time, so she will have, uh, she will never have had have met him at this point in her life. Um, I think that's so. In other words, I think that we are supposed to assume that this is the same Guinan, uh, you know, one hundred and thirty some odd years later as the one that we saw in Time's Arrow. Um, I found it um, kind of chilling and appropriate um that she would have this sort of cynical almost nihilistic view of the world that she's she's living in um i thought it was i thought it was um i thought was was also very a bold move to acknowledge the fact that that um people who look like her are treated a different way than than people who look like Picard. She she makes that uh, 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 point, uh, which is very interesting because obviously she's not human. Uh, but using her own words, she she does look like a a human with uh, brown skin. So so there's so there's so when you think about it, listener who has sort of adopted humanity and has uh, been living here for a couple of centuries. Uh, you know, John, you mentioned earlier, this is not the 1890s anymore. So um, she would have uh, a different uh, perspective on things, a different feeling about uh, uh, humanity, perhaps. And I think that's true, especially when you you factor in how what her experience of the 20th century mm. in the United States would have 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 been like as someone who looks like a black woman right so so she you know she lived through 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 Jim Crow and the uh the 60s and the civil rights movement and where we are now and you know you you could imagine that from her perspective, um, she being someone who, again, is not human, is not from this planet, is aware of the existence of of other civilizations all over the world. Like you could you could imagine how how even more infuriated that would make someone like that uh, to see that that, you know, humanity uh, time and time again is so is so hung up on these what in her view are are very small meaningless uh distinctions and uh, uh uh to the point where i mean even she realizes um this is a planet and a people who are who are on the razor's edge like they're at a breaking point and they can't seem to get out of their own way 
I so so that so 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 having Guinan um be the character to say that um I found very not only um not only was it effective but I thought it was very chilling and rang very true in a way it really yeah. did it, it it had a it had a, it had a intensity to it um in that aspect which again I I, I thought I thought the uh, the Guinan parts of this episode were, were very strong. Uh, I was watching with some people who were unsettled by how different Guinan was. What you just went through uh, uh, really puts a really good, not only explanation, but a feeling into it. And and Guinan being a Lorian, being a listener, as she says later on, with even more meaning as it turns out, is that you can't listen without something ultimately affecting you. And yeah. just, you know, we, I won't do a deep dive, but the, the quick sweep of U.S. history, where she was, as far as we know, you know, it, it was very cyclical and very difficult to, to look at from someone who has the perspective of a black woman who lives, you know, who's experienced 140, 150 years of history at that point. It's not one lifetime, it's two or three. And it's, you know, probably very aware of the end of the Civil War to Reconstruction, which is this period of hope rebirth freedom and liberty for a population that was enslaved not only is as has, has been freed but is in it is for a brief period uh, uh given the capability to uh, uh excel and, and 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 embrace and live that freedom and live prosperous lives and that slammed shut in the jim crow era which really doesn't begin until the 1890s you know the reconstruction yeah. dies a slow death uh, over 10, 15 years. And Jim Crow is the end of the 19th century, well into the early 20th century. So to see that dip and then to see the world wars and uh, but the interplay of, of those issues and then the rise of the civil rights movement uh, and the seeming successes there and then an era where the tensions are back, which is what we're living through now because they never really went away. It's both cyclical, but it's also... Uh, uh, you know, a lot more complicated than that. So if you're if, you, if if you're a fictional character who's experiencing that whole sweep of time, um, you're going to have, and I don't want to tri- make it sound trivial, but, but you're going to have instead of a good days, you're going to have good decades and bad decades because you're going to yeah. you're, you're, you're going to how are you going to not feel incredibly sad and angry at at the human population when they backslide. It's like what are you, what are you doing? You 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 were getting you were getting there. You were getting there, and then you stopped and you went backwards. So how, how would any of us feel watching that over an extended period of time? I'll tell you personally, feeling that uh, uh, with the uh, uh, you know current sort of global situation we're experiencing right now, I'm getting a taste of that, and I I kept on feeling to myself. Obviously, this was written a year ago and filmed starting a year ago. It feels so relevant to the world's events today. Um, and, and, and a whole host of factors um, that I, I think that's always been the magic of Star Trek. But I want to jump into something if you want, to, which is related to this. And then so maybe we'll do this. This will stick in the Guinan track for a little bit longer well, and go and go to that part. But it, but it, it's directly relevant. Well, I was going to say, like, I feel I feel like just what you guys are both touching on is that one, I think Guinan seems to be as has the same issues that Q has. <laughs> his, his anger and her anger are paralleled, it seems like, over these mm. issues. And two, Guinan's, um, you know, upset and hopelessness and, and upset being with humanity, having not met Picard, she doesn't know what could be or what's coming. She had the mm-hmm. benefit, if she lived through Earth previously, of having met Picard and Data and those people. Oh, knowing, good point. Oh, knowing that there was a, yeah. a better future coming at some point. And so she may have been a more beacon Brilliant. of hope in that other timeline. I mean, um, you know, Jack, Jack quoted me, I guess, from watching the clips that he saw online. He's like, change always happens later than we think it should which is like yeah. summary mm-hmm. that came out of this episode. And I think, you know, that, that the guy in is representing the fact that she doesn't know this future. She's lived through all this history and she hasn't had the benefit of knowing Picard and the future to come. So, you know, it, it's, yeah, it is very disturbing to see. This her is why like we that. need the podcast because that just, again, like I never would have, it, it didn't quite click for that way. I got, I'd figured out the time stuff and then it's like, wait, well, you just said that that brings it all around full circle. So I, I, I want to amend even my beginning of this episode and give the writers even more credit in the way that they're writing the characters, pacing and everything else aside. I think they're really doing an amazing job capturing what would have been and who these uh, and, and who these people were. Um, 
And, and then the, and there was that moment uh, when, when he finally, he didn't want to interfere, but he drops his, the car drops his name. And there's, and there's a moment of recognition. Why she says, oh shit, I don't know. But it, it must have been something like, you know, a time flash, a sense, something that yeah. triggered of like, okay, I get it. I can't run away from this. Uh, um, that of course went into the Lex 9. Now here's where it got really big for me and where I practically fell out of my chair. Uh, in the second watching of the episode, not the first watching of it. She says, oh shit, all right, get in the truck. And Picard gets in the truck with her and they're going to go off he, because he wants to meet the watcher. And she knows her and she's adamant that she's a listener, not a watcher. But she says specifically, you're looking for a supervisor, otherwise known as a watcher. And they're peppered throughout the galaxy, assigned to protect the destiny of certain individuals, guardian angels, and they, you know, sort of think highly of themselves, you might think, but they're also very aloof. And that's when I realized, wait a second, supervisor? That's a very specific term. So now we get to go back to 1968, season two, episode 26 of the original series, Assignment Earth. Do either one of you remember that episode? So that's uh, uh, Gary Seven. Uh, Gary, Gary Seven, Seven was a supervisor. It's a supervisor. Yeah. And he's from a planet uh, uh, thousands of light years away. The Enterprise has done exactly what Picard did. They did the light speed breakaway time travel to go back to 1968. Oh, that's true. Observation yeah, right. of an era that humanity nearly didn't survive in the nuclear conflict of the uh, 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 Cold War. And so Supervisor Gary Seven has come to Earth, but the Enterprise accidentally inter intercepts the beaming signal because they have the technology to beam from planet to planet. And it's like, okay, that sounds pretty familiar. And th that was a pretty interesting episode where he has to stop the launching of a orbital nuclear platform uh, uh, from the US to which was to, 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 you know, to balance the power out of the Soviet Union in the era. And that led to an event according to him, that would basically, you know, end us. And there was so much commentary. I, I went back, I watched that episode uh, Friday night. Uh, uh, and I was like, wait a second, this, this, this has to be linked to it. And the themes were identical. It was hmm. everything about 1968, everything about uh, 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 the fear of annihilation, history needing to be changed because, in, in his own words, that humanity's social and, and, and moral progress had not caught up to their technological prowess yet. And of course, hmm. Kirk and Spock don't know whether to trust him. But then there is, at the very end of that episode... Uh, no, excuse me, the end of this episode. But the interspersed throughout Assignment Earth is the way he transports. He goes into his his safe, and there's a very specific special effect. And if you go back and you look at that special effect and you compare it to what we'll get to in a moment about the very, you know, close to the end of this episode, they're identical. Oh, it's oh. the same one? Oh, that's it's cool. It's the same that's one. That's very cool. Same oh, that's cool. I didn't pick up on that. They're, they, I mean, I I, th I think, uh, uh, I, I would bet 95% that that's what they're doing is that these, you know, otherwise, you know, supervisor, other, otherwise known as a watcher, so now they're using different, you know, monitors, that they're here uh, on Earth. And uh, that episode was really interesting in that the Enterprise didn't know whether it was right to intervene and stop him or to let him do what he said he was supposed to do, which was the way that history would bear out was the way it was supposed to be. And then, as it turns out, by not by not intervening or at least allowing him to complete his mission, that their historical records matched what just happened. So uh, uh, I think they're sort of going along with that is that that's going to happen. But Q's mucking around in that. So now we have, you know, this super powerful other group of watchers Q messing about and Picard's going to have to put it all together. Which is, which is interesting with the Q continuum. I mean, we, we like there, we always assume Q is the most powerful. The Qs are the most powerful because that's what we've seen, but it doesn't mean there's other, we've spoken about this in previous episodes that there wasn't other superpowered beings that are in level with the Q. Yeah. Well, that's very cool. If um, they, they bring back um, those, uh, I know, uh, Gary Seven was he was biologically human, but he was um, he was raised or trained um, uh, 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 by this other um, civilization. I don't know that they were ever named. No, they weren't. Uh, but yeah, that that um, I think you're exactly right about that. I think that um, they are uh, doing something. They are they are 100 percent definitely referencing 
uh, that episode, Assignment Earth, uh, uh, which was supposed to be, hopefully, as Gene Roddenberry was hoping, um, he he was he he, uh, he wrote it as a potential spinoff uh, really? because. Yeah, because at the end of season two of the original series, um, the the writing was sort of on the wall. And as we all know, um, Star Trek was only renewed for a third season because of an historic um, letter writing campaign. And um, so, yeah, so so Assignment Earth uh, was um, sort of a Hail Mary, like to maybe um, uh, create uh a spinoff show with uh, Gary Seven and um, uh, the Terry Gar character, his assistant. I forget her name. Oh, uh, uh, Miss Lincoln, uh, Roberta Lincoln. I think is her name. Uh, so, so it, so, so it would have sort of, uh, uh, I guess, um, followed the two of them where he was on missions, like, like on contemporary Earth, uh, trying to, um, uh, uh, to fix history or whatever. Um, uh, which I think I think would have been sort of cool. Um, yeah, but that aside, the thing that was so interesting to me then, or that is so interesting uh, uh, to me rather, is then are they saying uh, th- uh, the first of the two crazy cliffhangers for the episode um, is we see the identity of this watcher supervisor, and it's um, Picard's uh, Romulan um love interest from the beginning of the season but she's she's not a romulan anymore so 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 is the implication that she uh, that even in the 25th century she was a supervisor who was assigned to uh, uh to picard to make sure that he uh that like history played out the way it was supposed to happen and that she was i guess in disguise with uh the pointed ears like the uh, the weird thing to me is that, like, why, why she's not a Romulan? Yeah, yeah. That right. that that like has to be. I mean, I mean, she could have just as easily still been a Romulan in that in that uh, a position, I suppose. Like, I don't know why she specifically had to be human, but obviously, uh, they're they're doing this on purpose. So so there's. Oh, there's got to be a reason, and I'm very curious to find out exactly what that reason is. Yeah, at, fr- at first yeah. I had I had no idea what the possible link was until ours. I was like, "Well, wait, wait a second. And and I mean, was it surgery? What was the reason that that uh, she doesn't look uh, Romulan here in that you know in 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 that reveal at the end? And it it makes sense now thinking about if it's related to the supervisors who are known to take people from uh, in that episode in the original series episode they refer to taking people from 6000 years in the past the agents who had gone missing and and that, that was the brilliant story of that episode was that the agents that the supervisor had come to check up on and make sure this plan was going according to plan as it was almost a last minute and they'd fallen out of contact was they were going to do something and they died in something as simple as a car crash mm. and it stopped their mission from being completed and here they were you know uh, effectively, they, they the implication could be they might have been six thousand years old. That when they're when they're taken, they're not just uh, 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 raised. That if it's from that far back, they might be you know effectively made quasi immortal, uh, and then just human beings who are going to come here and, and do something. So we don't know the full capability of what these uh, 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 what this alien you know powers are, but it's pretty pretty massive. But it also indicates that that they're not they're not there as gods, you know. They have right. some advanced technology. They have some cool stuff, uh, but they're not. Uh, uh, they're certainly not at Q level, uh, and they don't want to be at Q level on the planet. They don't want to be just you know messing about and and snapping their fingers uh, uh, to uh, to change uh, you know history in people's minds. To say the other sort of cliffhanger um, is that uh, we find out that um, that a snap of the fingers no longer is. I guess what it what it used to be in the old days. It seems like it seems like um, uh, Q is or has lost his powers. It seems. Well, that kind of goes back to what we were discussing in the like the second episode where Q seemed off, and maybe maybe as we were speculating then that the Q continuum is dying, or he's dying, or something something's happening to the, to Q himself or the entire continuum that they're 
fading out or losing their mojo or whatever's happening to him is like, this is, his, this is again, once again, his last thing, whether whatever his machinations are, this is the last time he's going to be able to do anything. And it looks, and it looks like he might be stuck where he is now. Yeah. yeah. The other, long. his line there and his utter surprise, he goes, that's unexpected and most unfortunate. And okay. So even he wasn't completely expecting that to, uh, that to happen. I didn't understand the, uh, the voiceover he was doing. It was very, very dramatic. Uh, 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 you know, and, and obviously telegraphing what he was about to do to change somebody's minds. Um, I know we've sort of blown past the other uh, uh, handle of what was happening this episode, but uh, this was sort of that one uh, through line when, when we were talking about earlier how there were uh, different groups of these characters doing different things on, on the planet. If you look at it uh, uh, chronologically, we've just gone through uh, uh, most of the cards uh, through line here. Um, right. right. We, we haven't even like, well, I mean, I think the interesting thing is like we whatever head game the board queen is trying to play with Girardi, she's playing it back with the board queen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, which I liked. Yeah, that was, that was good. And, and then obviously we got, you know, as we expected, we, we ended our episode last week talking some surmising that this week we would, you know, we're touching on immigration issues and we got to see that firsthand with what's going on with Rios. Yeah. So when you jump over to that storyline, you see, see what it is, you know, that that's when you have, you know, Rios. And then of course, you know, Rafi and seven trying to, uh, you know, uh, get him out and there was uh, a, a lot of uh that 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 gave you that was the part of the story that gave you the 2024 feel really the 2022 feel was you know the the idea of what happens to you when you are without papers um and 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 sort of the the, the brutality uh, built into the system um and and, and obviously people yeah. who are more familiar with it could probably run better commentary on any accuracy uh, it had in terms of the portrayal, but from you know what I understand, it's not that far off. Um, and having to you know figure out, okay, we're on Earth. We don't want to interfere with massive amounts of history. Uh, obviously, they must be interfering with something uh, because they're you know interacting with people and, and, and doing things. But uh, how do you, how do you get them out without um, you know breaking out the phasers? Of course, that was the big thing. You know, Rafi was just like, well, I brought a phaser anyway. Slip my mind. Here it is. Yeah, I like I was saying, I, I enjoyed the dynamic between the two of them. And um, I enjoyed the, and Josh, you said it before, the relationship that Rios has with the Doctor is, it's, it's they have a lot of chemistry going on. I'm not sure where that's going for the rest of the season, but there's a lot of chemistry between the two of them. No, absolutely. Um, I I think I said last week that, um, that I was hoping, or I got the sense that they weren't going to pull any punches when it came to the storyline. And I think the episode um, uh, uh, delivered on that front. I don't think, you know, they didn't seem to shy away from, uh, from depicting the reality of the situation and, and, you know, naming, uh, uh, you know, invoking the, the ice, the ice agents specifically, um, I think was, you know, they could have just as easily um, n- not gotten so specific, uh, but something that that I like, and obviously um, one's mileage may vary on this, is that um, they are really engaging with the um, the real world in a way that I think is is important. Similarly to what the young Guinan was describing, um, you know, it's not, they aren't couching it in metaphor. They're, they're really, they're, 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 they're dealing with the real issues and the real forces at play. I think um, because this is an example and, you know, we're living in a time where, you know, I see online, the the detractors of uh not only Picard but also Discovery who who are who who are coming at it from um a very kind of a right wing um sort of a perspective and you know the charge that they level at Picard and Discovery is that you know Star Trek didn't used to be so on the nose about these things and like their their problem is that it it pulls them out of the show because like they're uh, you know throwing their political agenda uh, do, uh, down everyone's throat my thing is 
I would say in response, the problem is that, you know, metaphor and subtlety don't seem to have done the job in certain respects. And, you know, sometimes things are just so dire and so important that, um, you know, there's something to be said for, uh, for not hiding behind a literary device and, you know, uh, and tackling certain issues directly head on. And, um, I, I, you know, I know it's, I know it's a joke, but, um, in, in certain situations, I think subtext is for cowards. I mean, <laughs> as the old joke goes. Um, I mean, so that's my two cents on on that. No, I think that's a very it's a very good point. I mean, it's uh, you know, they're you're you're setting it in the real world, and we might as well look at the real world as it is. And obviously, if people have feelings about that, well, then that kind of gives you what your I guess view of the of the current state of the world is, or what your thoughts are about it. So. I kind of agree you know we they they want to dive in into these topics and uh they're, they're doing it so you know i think good for them they're, they're doing it because they're, they're trying to send a message and that's the whole message it seems like that's the whole point of this season anyway is to send a message that's that was the you know opening th- the ending of, for, of the first episode with the with q is like you know this is this is what i'm going to show you like you know humans like nasty other timeline or as john you put it like it might, this might be the timeline that we were actually supposed to be <laughs> living in that Q's showing us. So I, and, and I looking looking at that, how it inter- intersects with the Watchers now and the supervisors and the way that they framed it in that original series episode, it sort of lends weight to that idea of the 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 the, the, the interference is what's needed, but it creates a bit of a paradox that uh, you don't know whether it's the chicken or the egg. Um, right. But you're not meant to necessarily obsess over that, but to say that we're always on that edge. We were on that edge in 1968 when supervisor Gary seven had to do what he did. Um, and we'll be at that knife's edge throughout the future. Hence the trial is never over. Uh, right. uh you know, the, we'll, we'll never have simply accomplished it and been done pack up, go home. Everything's great. And we can live out. And I think that might be even the, the storyline they apply to the Q continuum is that they've been so lofty and powerful for so long. And it, it, by the Voyager episodes, they've sort of grown stagnant. Um, that it's time for them to grow and become something more uh, and face their beyond own challenges. The so They're going that, beyond the rim. That has something to do with Q, but definitely human beings is like every time the test isn't over, that's what Guinan is seeing is that, you know, her, that again, that sweep of history that, 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 that she gets to experience of human history is one with incredible progress, a breakthrough, followed by some pretty devastating disappointments um, and then back and forth again. So that's, that that's that that's recent human history, if not all of human history, and it makes the best storytelling. And it's uncomfortable for a lot of people when you don't pull your punches, when you don't keep it strictly in a fantasy science fiction realm of, hey, this is the future. It's all allegory and metaphor. Uh, uh, you know, don't don't worry. We're not talking about you. This Star Trek is saying, hey, audience, we're talking about you here. Like you are here. Q says we're on trial. Yeah, we're all on trial even now. Mm-hmm. And that can be that can be unsettling. And obviously there, the, the, we, we know the political uh, 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 orientation of what the message overall is. And I don't even want to break it down into the binary terms that we use today, but it's political in the sense that it is social. It is about different views of how to build a society, build a world that'll endure for the future and how difficult yes. that is. And it's not easy when maybe that doesn't agree with something you already thought, you know, and, and had your own preconceived note, notion. And, uh, you know, when you said, you know, subtext is for cowards and I love that. I'm going to remember that forever now uh, <laughs> that there. It, 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 it didn't, it isn't necessarily, it didn't work as well as one would have hoped or Roddenberry may have hoped in the original series because the number of fans I encounter who, uh, uh, and again, I'm taking this beyond just the word politics. It's the social consequence of any group or person who is being oppressed due to being different. Gene Roddenberry's thing was the word diversity, not a tagline. It was a concept to him. And that in every era, diversity means different things because you see different things. And the message didn't seem to get through to a lot of people because they said, oh, well, yeah, that may have happened in the original series, but we're past all that and everything's fine now. 
It's like, hey, it's not. There, there are things that they never were able to touch on in the original series or in the next generation, or we're just beginning to. And I think, you know, personally, it's the LGBT issues, which were largely jettisoned from Next Generation, despite Roddenberry wanting to put them in. Um, and that was, you know, so when, when when you bring those issues up in modern Star Trek, people feel like you're, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're overwhelming them. But I said, well, that's sort of what they were doing with the original series. But now they're just, they've taken the, uh, they've taken the gloves off a little bit more. Right. And it's, an, it's like an onion of things, too. Like what they were dealing with back then was like the, the biggest topic of, of differences. Like there's plenty of other people who have been different throughout all of history. They just like they they weren't at the forefront enough to get on TV as they can now. And you have a more like a different perspective that can write to these issues and write characters that can speak to these different groups where you didn't have that perspective in the writer's room to do that or people in the writers room were more evolved enough to even have that perspective for a character for a show like this. Sure. Um, I don't want to uh, derail the discussion, but uh, there is um, a whole podcast, uh, certainly a whole episode of a podcast uh, to be had about um, how, how, how TNG um, could have, and then ultimately uh, did not, um, uh, do stories about LGBTQ issues. Um, it's kind of complicated, and there are a lot of. Um, uh, there was supposed to be a two-parter that uh, uh, David Gerald, who wrote uh, the Trouble with Tribbles, and who was um, one of the uh, producers of uh, uh, Next Gen in season one, um, uh, he wrote the uh, the Bible for uh, uh, for Next Gen. Uh, um, he was to uh, have. Well, no, he did write a two-part episode um, for season one of Next Generation called uh, Blood and Fire um, that involved a couple on the Enterprise who um, who were two men. And um, so there was a depiction of a same-sex relationship on the Enterprise. And then one of them goes on an away mission and um, they're, they're infected um, uh, with a, um, a disease from a Rigelian uh, bloodworm. And it's essentially... Uh, blood a uh, blood disease uh, uh you know so if you you put your mind in the period uh, we're talking the mid 1980s i mean this is obviously they're talking about the AIDS crisis um and for a whole lot of reasons that are different depending on who you talk to this episode never happened um and uh uh, uh david gerald uh left the show and it's a hard thing to untangle whether it was um Gene Roddenberry, who 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 was sort of mentally, um, he was infirm at that at at that point. Like all through season one and uh, uh, two and three of uh, TNG, he was um, unbeknownst to a lot of people, he um, he was suffering from from a series of uh, 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 mini strokes, and so his um, his personality would uh, would change wildly, and uh, you know he would be very erratic. So whether it was him. Uh, his lawyer, uh, Leonard Mazelish, who, uh, by all accounts, um, uh, was a huge asshole, uh, uh, piece of shit of a man who, um, who, who did a lot of things in Roddenberry's name that, that, uh, uh because of, uh, you know, said, um, uh, uh, mental faculty issues, he, he was not always aware was being done in his name or, um, you know, all, all the way up to the Paramount executives themselves, like for whatever reason that never uh, uh, materialized. And I think the closest uh, TNG ever got uh, to in terms of grappling with, uh, with any, uh, uh, with any LGBTQ issues is um, I'm forgetting the name of the episode now, uh, uh, that episode with Riker and uh, the relationship he develops with that. The not the non-binary, the, the non-binary species. Yeah. Right. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I think that um, I think that was the closest they came, and um, if I remember correctly, Jonathan Frakes wanted to go a little further. Um, yeah, he wanted it to be a man who who yeah. who played who played the character. You know, after after the trill, uh, 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 you know, that was uh, had, had, that was had, the episode been, called "The Outcast." Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Season yeah. five, episode seventeen. <laughs> there we go. I have <laughs> I to. I, I have to turn in my. I have to turn in my this... membership card. I can't believe it. Didn't. <laughs> There was a time, I'll tell you, uh, there was a time I used to be able to tell the name 
uh, and season and number of an episode within the first 15 seconds of a next-gen episode. And I realized that wasn't so much a talent as it was just commentary on how much Star Trek I was watching as a sickness. when I was 13 <laughs> years old. Well, if I, yes, exactly. If I could say, as we as we like wrap wrap this episode up, and, and not to like toot our own horn on our own podcast, but <laughs> like I, I've listened, I'm like, I'm, I've watched a few YouTube episodes on this episode that we're re- reacting to, and, and nobody like really, I mean, there are people out there, but but John, your insight of tying it to the original series and that I have not heard that. Like I did not hear that in the view reaction videos that I watched. So and and obviously the and the political discourse and the commentary that make I've not heard a lot of people comment on it. So I, I How I'm, could you how could you how could you do a review or a reaction to this episode and not comment on the political aspects of it? Like I'm I, sorry, like that seems like that seems like you were willfully like like ignoring uh a huge, huge uh, part of this show and the story. Yes, I agree. Which is, you know, this, just to say what you guys are viewing as sickness, I, I view it as a real treat that I'm glad you two are doing this, this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with, with um, so as we, so just wrapping this, this episode up and then Josh, I do think that's a good idea for a future thing of talking about um, LGBTQ, um, you know, reasons why that didn't make on a next gen. That is an excellent idea for a future episode. So I don't want to lose that thread. Um, so let's keep it in the back burner. But uh, wrapping up this this week's episode of Picard, um, thoughts going into our our, our mid season episode. Oh wow, it's mid season well, already. Yeah, I guess it is. Uh, f- uh, for my money, I mean, once again, like it's it's the same for me every week. Like l- uh, like I would say my feelings about every episode has uh, you know when all is said and done um, is 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 generally the same in the sense that my enthusiasm has not waned I still have the same level of curiosity I thought that a lot of stuff um, that happened in the episode was uh, delightful and a lot of fun to see and there were some real again I think I said earlier a lot of um, meaty uh, stuff here and um, I have no doubt that the next episode will be like that and I'm just looking forward to the next one I guess uh uh, what day is this? It's, it's any day now, right? I I can never keep track. Three more days. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. Yeah, um, John, your your thoughts going into uh, our? I definitely uh... have that feeling of being a little kid again, where you're just like anticipating the next episode. I, I don't. Well, little kid and various points of adults uh, adulthood, but I I don't remember having this feeling probably since a uh, a certain television show that ran for many years and was uh, destroyed in the end, which I will not name, uh, but which we all know too well. Uh, but that feeling of just anticipating, I want to see what happens next. And uh, I think what they're doing in this is is compelling on that. And to tie back into this podcast, to anybody who's listening, they always hear like, when, when I think about my initial reaction to, to any episode, I tend to be somewhat critical. And if I wasn't enthralled with one aspect or another, I focus on that. The joy for me, and, and that's been how I watch almost any television show or any sci-fi the joy comes in this moment where all of a sudden you get to talk about everything that was put in there by, you know, by, by, by the writers, by the actors, by everything else. And you realize how rich it is. And then you get to re-experience it. And that's what, what it was in Mint Condition talking about shows is there was the experience of first watching it. And then there's, then there's this, the experience of yeah. re-experiencing it, talking it out, and then seeing the levels of richness to it that go much deeper than you thought the first time. And we've all brought, you know, different ideas and revelations uh, to it on this. So when you go back and watch it, it's even, it's even more special. And that was, that was my experience in the next generation. So uh, as each episode has gone on, I'm actually more excited for the next. Um, but I'll just say, give me more cue. I just want more. I want more <laughs> than 15 seconds. I want, I want a whole inner, and I hope they give that to us at the end. I'm just saying that right here. What I want by the end of this season is, I want to know what makes Q tick. I don't care about his powers as much as I want to know what makes Q the character tick and what mm. brought him to this place in his existence. Uh, um, that, that, that for me would be the one of the best ways they could sort of capstone this. And I think we'll at least get hints of that. But I really hope they go full speed with it at some point. He's in, yeah. love, he's in love with Picard, John. <laughs> you know what? If that's it, that would, be, that, that would make my year. And I mean, I think that would be the one I know we said, we all said that we, this would not be a, se- a series that would like have a one standalone episode. But if they were to do a one standalone episode, give us like an episode of Q's history up until 
this moment, I think would be a fitting standalone episode that would fit well with the season of the show. Uh, I would actually rather, I would actually rather have um, sort of a bottle, a bottle episode of just uh, Q and Picard trapped in an elevator or in a room <laughs> or something. I, 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 I mean, I would watch, I would watch an hour of those two together. Oh, as I would I. I, w- I think I think I think most of us, you know, John, you hit the nail. That's what we want. I, I hope they give it to us. At, at the very least, I hope we get an episode that has Q in it for like at least a half hour and not the fifteen or you know, the ten to fifteen minute intervals. Or or this week was like two minute interval that we get them for. So I, I hope we do get that in the next uh, six episodes. Um, so once again, uh, thank you both for being here. I, like I said, I, I like I appreciate the depth of your Star Trek knowledge being uh, put and exposed and talked about in this in these in these podcasts they're they're great and wonderful and it it really does take me back to mint so josh thank you for being here my pleasure and john thank you for being here no thanks for having him and uh we will talk to you all next week when we enter uh episode five of picard as always if you want to connect with us or have thoughts and feelings of your own about what's happening on picard please find us on the facebook page secret origins of mint condition And uh, we will talk to you next time.